Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. And uh, so tonight I, I, I want to I wanna give a, a sort of a structure, a foundation so that you understand the presence of God. We are a presence culture church. And what that means is that the presence of God takes preeminence in all things that we do. Um, it means that we defer to a structure, a church life, a, uh, a worship set, a preaching ministry where his presence can be revealed rather than going down an organized or structured route where people are not necessarily aware of those things. Does that make sense yeah. to you? Yeah. That the presence of of God is an essential part of, of our life. It's an essential part. His presence is critical to church life. And, and to be honest with you, um, you know, you can do church in any old hell, right? But if you don't have the presence of God, there's no point doing church. And, and we don't want religious form. We don't want structures or, or things in place which inhibit His presence to walk with us. And so what I want to do tonight is give you a, a scriptural foundation of the dispensation that we live in. That's a big word, isn't it? <laughs> dispensation, wow, this must be deep. And, uh, this must be theological. Uh, it's the, 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 the time in which we live and how God's presence is being revealed and, and not only how his presence is being revealed, but what that then implies to us in working and walking with his presence, knowing what it's all about. Is that good? Mm-hmm. And uh, so then we're, we're going to do some ministry afterwards. But um, there are eight dispensations over the course of time, and we are in the seventh. Now, the first one is the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. His presence was his physical presence walking with man in creation. That's why he came. And so he came and he walked with Adam and Eve. um, And his presence was um, on the earth, was exclusive to the Garden of Eden. Now, actually, what happened from between in that dispensation of from in that time between then and the second dispensation after sin had entered, is that God then still is continuing to draw the presence of man. And we know that Enoch, in meeting with God, it says he walked with God. And so there isn't, the next dispensation is that of um, altars and holy ground. So that's sort of stage two. And, but stage one is, is walking with God. And, and Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the garden. And it says that Enoch, in Genesis 5, it says that Enoch walked with God. And as he walked with God, he walked with it and then was no more. He was taken up because he, he was in, 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 curious. It's the fact that sin had already entered the world. There was already, the curse had already entered. Things were now working against Mankind, the hearts of man were 
who were drawn away from God. But there was a man called Enoch who discovered that you can still walk with him. Extraordinary testimony that his presence, you could walk in his presence. And then what happens is that because God wants, he was he, the purpose of God and the purpose of his presence is to draw us fully into a complete and absolute relationship with him where we are complete. And so in each dispensation, there's a further step along the way in understanding the revelation of his presence. So the second step um, from walking with God is the step of understanding the altar, the sacrifice and the holy ground. And we, we understand that um, the, that um, Moses, the sacrificial altars, we understand that Moses, uh, not Moses, Noah, sorry, Noah was the first one to offer sacrifice um, to God on an altar. And we understand that the presence of God was revealed. Moses came to a place when he was in the backside of the desert and God appears in a burning bush. And as he appears to uh, Moses, he says, this is, remove your shoes for this is holy ground. And so we understand that from, from uh, Noah through to Moses um, with Abraham uh, and a number of others, there is this point in which they are offering sacrifice to God. They're creating an altar, a place where they can sacrifice to God and that becomes a holy place. It becomes a precious place, a place where God's, it, His presence is here. It's not there, it's here. And in that moment, the presence, we, they begin to understand that the presence of God um, is about a relationship in which there is some kind of responsibility for man to do something to connect with God. There's a giving of the sacrifice. The altar is about the giving of self. Just the, the, the if I'm going to walk with God, if I'm going to connect with God somehow, I, I've got to give something of myself. And, and, and we begin to, um, we begin to see this holy ground that God's presence begins to turn up uh, and, and there is holy ground and there are sacrificial altars and, and the presence of God begins to be revealed in these two arenas, all right? And so then we get to the third um, place. And what happens after that is that the, we go from the sacrificial altars and the uh, holy ground to the tabernacle of Moses. And what happens there is that God is saying, that I, I need to meet with mankind. And I can't just... It's not enough for me to turn up where man happens to call on my name. Where man happens to find him. Enoch was, you know, um, he was one, one man. And then there was Abraham. Uh, And it's like you're talking a a small amount of people. What God wants to do is is he he wants his presence known to humanity. But for his presence to be known, you have to understand his kingdom values, the principles, the covenant. So with the tabernacle of Moses, you have the establishment of the law, 
but you also have the establishment of covenant blessing. So with his, with his, with his, with the tabernacle of Moses, you you have the law, which, which gives a framework for the nature of man's sin, but it also gives a framework for the nature of God's covenant to us. And so we understand that in the Old Testament, you were the head and not the tail. In the Old Testament, you were given power to gain wealth. In the Old Testament, you were, had healing power through Old Testament covenant promises. That healing power that Moses lifted up the staff and all that looked towards it were healed. That's Old Testament, Moses tabernacle, covenant promise. That's his presence being revealed according to the nature of the tabernacle of Moses, according to the Old Testament. And it set a, God had to set a, a, a framework in which he could bring all of mankind, the, the, all, of the, all of humanity could look towards Israel and begin to see that there is a covenant in which God meets with man. And so as, that, as God establishes that through Moses, and so you have the tabernacle um, of Moses, uh, which existed in the tabernacle means the, the, the meeting place, the dwelling place. Um, and then you have this, this unusual blip with the tabernacle of Moses. Something shifts with David and you have the tabernacle of David, the Davidic tabernacle. And this unusual blip is that the tabernacle of David, I've spoken about this many times, is that the tabernacle of David was unusual because it was reflective of a new covenant, New Testament church, and not an old covenant. With, the, with Moses' Moses's temple, tabernacle, sorry, with Moses' tabernacle, you had the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. In the holy of holies, you had a veil. And inside the veil, once a year, you may go in to the mercy seat, the, 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 the mercy seat, the holy of holies where God's presence resided and his presence was in that place. And according to the offerings and sacrifices, first in the outer court where the lambs were sacrificed, you would wash your hands at the altar of incense and then you would go into the holy place where the um, lamp uh, of God's covenant grace and the table of showbread is 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 there representing the 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 body of Christ and the and the light the oil of the Holy Spirit the constant light that always shone and once a year you could come into that place into the holy of holies where God's presence will be revealed to man all right that's the tabernacle and then what comes and the Philistines come along and go they go stuff that they rip, they come in and they run off with the with the holy of holies they they run off with the mercy seat. And there they are running down the road like this and, uh, uh, and um, thinking to themselves, Woo, we've got, we got, we got some gold and, and um, this precious thing that belongs to Israel. We can, we can blackmail them now and we can do all kinds of things. that you know. And so there they are with that. And David comes along and goes, flipping cheek, not touching that. So he runs off and after a number of false attempts to bring it back, he eventually brings back 
the Holy of Holies, but he doesn't take it to a place called Shiloh, which is just down the road where the tabernacle is. He doesn't take it down the road. He sets up his own tabernacle. What a funny thing to do. You've got the... See, Moses, see, see, David, because he's following the prophetic unction of God, he sets up this new tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, he goes, you know what the, the tabernacle's missing? Music. Let's get some music. So, so he doesn't have any sacrifice. We don't want any sacrifice, um, altar of sacrificing animals or any of that stuff. That makes a horrible mess. We'll just have worship. And we'll have the Holy of Holies, but we don't need a veil to enter into the, into the presence of God. We'll just worship into the presence of God. And so you've got down the road, you've got Shiloh, which is the tabernacle of Moses. And then David's got the Holy of Holies with no altar, no animal sacrifice, no veil, but the presence of God and the ability to access the presence of God through praise and worship. That's the church, by the way. So so David has this, for 40 years, he has this tabernacle as a prophetic unction of how Christ Christ shall be uh, presented and how the church shall be. And there's a lot of similarities to what happens from Christ... um, from when Christ um, died and rose again, the Holy Spirit poured out in the church. There's another 40 years. Um, and then the old, the t- temple was eventually torn down um, 40 years later. And so you have this, uh, you have these, 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 there's a lot of, yeah, anyway, there's a lot of other stuff in there. I haven't got time to get into because this is just an intro, right? <laughs> and so you have the, the tabernacle of, of David and then you get, you, you have the, the, from the tabernacle of David, you come to the temple. And the temple is the, uh, is the place established by Solomon to have an established place. A place where ground has been dug up. And, and this is important because there is a, now a direct correlation. So it's not just God turning up in someone's tent that's parked somewhere. This is, about, this is about the purchase of ground. Yeah. This is about this land. This land is our land. Yeah. A tent was movable, but a, a temple wasn't. Yeah. And it's about God's presence is about his people and it's about his land. It's about a, a place that belongs to him. So God created the whole earth. It's, it belongs to him. And if it belongs to him, you need to take possession of it. Uh, and, and that's why it's important for churches to own property because in the history of, uh, of church life, there have been many great moves of God, but those churches that haven't taken a stake in the ground aren't here anymore, regardless of how powerful they are. They aren't here anymore because they didn't, they didn't get a stake in the ground. They didn't take possession of the city they were believing for. They just said, oh, it's not about the ground, it's about the people. But if the people have got nowhere to go, you can't take care of them. And so um, the same as if you don't own a, if you don't own a house, you, you're constantly subject to somebody else's whims, aren't you? 
If you're going to, they were talking about many times, this is completely off subject. So that's why I encourage everyone to believe to buy a house, right? Because they were just talking recently about um, how much the elderly will have to, can the elderly afford to retire and pay, still pay rent? Because what normally happens is you buy a house, then you retire, and by that point, you've already paid for your house. Your house, you now own it. You're not paying anyone any rent. It's your house. But if you never own a house, you will always have to pay rent to somebody else. You'd be 85 and you've still got to pay rent to somebody else. That's money on a pension is going to be difficult to pay. And, and that's why it's important to take possession of the land, take ownership, so that you can... And it's not, it's not just physical, it's spiritual. And so, um, and why would you spend your life making somebody else rich? Yeah. When you can enrich your own family and your own family's inheritance. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, that's completely by the by. Um, and so Moses establishes a temple, the temple and the, and the temple, the glory of God appears in the temple with, with the temple with excessive offering, just the, the culture of the, of the temple was to bring just huge offerings yeah. to the, before God. And, and God's glory is always revealed when the people came with sacrificial offerings. It was true when Moses established the tabernacle and it was true when Solomon established the temple. And so the temple was the place where God's presence was housed officially for a thousand years. And when I say officially, there were, towards the end, he didn't live there anymore because (laughs) there were all sorts of other things that had gone on historically and his presence wasn't actually that welcome. And so uh, Herod had rebuilt the temple, uh, but Herod wasn't really a godly man and he'd built it for personal gain, his kind of statement of, power and this is what I did it's kind of it was the Roman way of thinking um, every time the the Romans went somewhere they would build these great buildings to sort of say how clever they were how rich and wealthy and more powerful they were of everyone else <coughs> and so you had the temple and then so that was came to so I haven't looked at my notes here I should know where I am uh, yeah, let's end. so then we come to um, that was the fifth one. The sixth one was Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he came, he revealed that he is the temple. Um, in John 2 verse 18, it says this. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these Things Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to this, this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And so we understand that Jesus tabernacled among us and when Jesus came upon the earth he dwelt among us and his word was with us and he was the ark of the new covenant Jesus became the mercy seat upon which we may come before God he he became the seat he became the holy of holies Jesus fulfilled all of the tasks in fact Jesus 
was the sacrificial lamb. Jesus was the great high priest. Jesus was the tabernacle in which the offering was being made. Jesus made sure that he fulfilled all tasks so that all things were pure, were righteous and could not be, from a legal point of view, disputed as being inefficient to achieve its task. And so Jesus became the fulfillment of the law in all things, declaring that man's sin, the debt of man's sin, has been sufficiently dealt with that God's presence may fully and continually reign upon the earth now forevermore. That the presence of God can now reign with man. That the whole purpose of the presence that God would, as in the Garden of Eden, walk with man. Does that make sense to you? And so I know, I know I'm just rushing through the details and you're probably wondering about the Bible verses. I've got the notes if you want those. Um, you can um, buy them off me. And uh, <laughs> No, I'll, e- I'll email them all out to you before somebody gets offended. And uh, it wouldn't be anyone here. It would be online. It would be. <laughs> it says um, in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4, it says, this is of Jesus, it says, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna at Aaron's rod that budded and the tabernacle of the covenant. Jesus represented all of these things, all right? He was the, the manna, the word of God um, that was presented, um, Aaron's rod that budded uh, and the tablets of the covenant. And so... In John 1 verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in Zechariah 6.12 and and John um, 6.32 we get more fulfillments of Jesus. It says in Zechariah that it says that behold the man whose name is the branch. He's talking of the rod that budded. Um, that Jesus fulfilled that prophetic statement of Aaron's rod, which was in the mercy seat. All right, now, when Jesus died and rose again, he said to his disciples, I must go that the Holy Spirit may come upon you. All right, I must go that the Holy Spirit may come upon you. The Holy Spirit was contained, his presence was contained to the presence of Jesus. Jesus, where Jesus walked, the presence of God walked. And Jesus would say, the kingdom of God has come near you. The moment that people began to experience and see these things, say the kingdom of God has come near you. And so we see that in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood... Sorry, I missed out 16. Peter had already... We know the answer, right? Peter had already said, (laughs) (laughs) You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered, And blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Everyone say church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And Jesus, 
Jesus, the word church is only used twice in the New Testament. And the word church means ecclesia, and it's a Greek word. And ecclesia, it's a Greek word which was used to describe a gathering of people. And it it has only in the, it's only in the Bible twice, but it was used by the Greek people. All right? And it was used to describe, sort of the classical sense was describing the gathering of people together for the consideration of a public interest or matter. It was about, it was about getting everyone together to do something. Uh, and so they would, the legal people would do that and they would, the magistrates would declare war by gathering uh, people together um, and arranging alliances and contracting sort of treaties and trading partnerships. These were known as the ecclesia, the church. A gathering of people. And then, so Jesus takes this very workman's word and says, on this rock I will build my church. On this rock I will build my gathering of people that get together to make war and trade and, <laughs> and, and, and do things together. Covenant agreements. It's about this very interactive relationship it's not just we would say it's the church it's it's all christians together that's the church but all christians together isn't necessarily the church in in the fullness of the word it's just lots of people in a room <laughs> well you know i i've, I've been to a conference where there are um 10,000 people uh, i remember being at the brighton uh, brighton the birmingham um place Whatever it's called. Anyway, it was a big place. It was a Graham Kendrick concert. Shows how old I am, right? So, uh, and um, I was I was there to sell Graham Kendrick records. And uh, anyway, so it was a, goes back a long way. I'm there, ten thousand people, right? And it was it was wonderful gathering. But when everyone was just milling around, they weren't really the church. There was just a crowd of people who were all a bit like because they'd never been in a room that big before. And so their mouths were a bit open, and they were a bit sort of awestruck by the size and the volume and crowds of people. They weren't really responding. It was only when worship started did the church start being the church, where it suddenly became the voice and the agreement, and everyone just went, suddenly they clicked into being one. At at that point, you could have had, they could have been divided easily a thousand ways. Uh, The enemy could have come in and just caused havoc and chaos but with a worship team and the strum of the guitar and the sound and the gathering of the people 10,000 people who've got no relationship with each other never met each other before they've come in their groups of fours and fives and and maybe somebody from the church down the road with 40 or 50 had all come together but hadn't managed to save seats and so they're all suddenly split off and and suddenly you've got 10,000 people who who've never seen each other before in their lives, this chaotic gathering became the church with the sound of praise in Jesus' name. And suddenly, the ecclesia, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. This, this gathering of single-minded purpose of people. This is what we came here to do for this reason. Are you, you understanding what I'm saying here? And so Jesus came... And released this word that there is going to be a church who would have the power 
to bind whatever is on earth and bound uh, that what bind whatever's on earth that it will be bound in heaven and whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven in other words the church as when it comes together will have the voice of authority looking at natural things can speak over natural things that the spiritual things that are a direct consequence of the natural things will shift in other words if there is poverty here sickness here brokenness here we bind that we loose that whatever we bind or loose the heavenly realm has to respond because the church just spoke the church just spoke the church spoke in the name of Jesus and that's why Jesus he had to release his spirit it says in one um, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and um, I've got a lot of scriptures here I don't have time to go through them all says, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So Jesus has made known the mystery, the fullness of his word, that we might gather together and be gathered in his name and his word for his purpose that the declaration of his presence may be revealed. All right? Now, I want to show you this. Acts chapter 1. So Jesus, he revealed his mystery that all may be gathered together as the church. Yes? We got that? Acts chapter 1. This is what Jesus says to his disciples before he goes. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, when we begin to see the church functioning according to the pattern that was set in the Old Testament. The presence of God was revealed with man walking with God. Now the Holy Spirit has been poured out, but he says, the church must come together. All right? That's why it's important to come to church. That's why you guys are the champions of the house, because you come out to find out what it's about being in church. Church, that's why church is critical. That's why the gathering of together, that's why small groups, you must gather together, because when you're together, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. I can guarantee you this. The presence of God that you experience in church 
will be far greater than any personal experience you will have. The, the personal experiences that we haven't got, they're unusual. They're, they're rare in their moments. But every time the church comes together, the power of God yeah. is revealed. And it's revealed because what you receive in that moment will catapult you into any and all areas, even right across the face of the earth. So we receive deposits from God. What we received, what Cheryl and I received when we got baptized and uh, again by the Holy Spirit, when we were down in 1993, just so powerfully touched by God, catapulted us to Scotland. It, it launched us out and the church multiplied, began to grow. We saw people getting saved, set free, empowered. And we've already, I mean, today, chatting to people who we've seen, hadn't seen for 20 years, and their lives are suddenly, they, that, that which they received here touched them, but they find themselves coming full circle and back into the house again. Through extraordinary connections and circumstances. What's going on? You see, we see that this is the power of the Holy Spirit because of what happens in the church. They received a touch from God in the church. And it's in, they go from the church, come out, and you always end up back in the church. Because the Holy Spirit, the dispensation of the ecclesia, is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And the presence of God, while he is poured out on all flesh, the reason for that is so that all flesh would come together and be one voice declaring one testimony. Jesus, when he's praying, I wonder if I can find this. Um, When Jesus is praying, he's speaking to his disciples and um, he's speaking to the Father about his disciples And he's saying to them, Father, I pray that as we are one, that they also will become one. Yeah, John 17. And it says here in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me and I've declared to them your name and will declare it. And the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is speaking out. He's going, Father, we are one. We're one by your presence. We're one. And now I pray that that which I have is on them. And they haven't known you, but they've known me. And if they've known me, they've known you because we're one. Yeah. And now they're one with me. He, he prays before, in verse 22, it says, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. The whole purpose of the presence of God is to bring mankind back to a place of relationship and fellowship with the Father and with each other. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. What is the greatest? What is the second? 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love God with everything. You shall love your neighbor who is your brother, your sister. You shall love them, even those that aren't saved. You shall love them. Why? So that they become one with you, that his glory and presence is revealed. So when we say we are a presence culture church, we're not talking about the experience of feeling, even though we know that that is the result. We know that that's the overflow. That's the, we know that his presence is, is tangible. When you ask, when you talk to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a lover of covenant. When you say, come Holy Spirit, You've you got to know he comes. Yeah. I give you this moment, Lord. I, I covenant with you right now. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you may fill this place. <laughs> See, he wants to be, I mean, he wants to be in every moment. Mm. And it's only because we're so busy doing other things that we forget to invite him. Yeah. That we, we grieve his spirit by not including him mm-hmm. in the process. We are a presence culture church because it is the dispensation of the presence of the holy spirit in the church that makes the church effective and powerful to achieve what has been called to do without his presence there isn't even a gathering of people let alone salvation or healing or deliverance or liberty or joy or peace or righteousness Without none of those things exist because it only exists because of his presence. It's his presence from the Garden of Eden through every age that has been drawing the hearts of men and women together that eventually we come to this place, the church. The last dispensation is the um, four square city of God. And uh, it's in Revelation. Um, the city of God is the place where God's glory and presence is revealed. And it's a, his city is a. Well, it's Revelation, right? So it's a 1,500-mile cubed city, which kind of gets my head, you know. It's 1,500 miles. That's like from here to it's about 600 miles to the south coast of England. So another 600, possibly here to Switzerland, cubed. It's pretty big, isn't it? So that's the, that's the, the city of God. Uh, I don't even know what that means. I <laughs> no idea. So I'm not speaking on that. I don't do I don't do end times, right? I just don't other people go, you should do end times. Yeah. I love Jesus now. <laughs> don't do it. Sat in too many lectures. <laughs> Went all over my head. But what I know is this that the Holy Spirit is here and He wants us to know His presence. He wants us to know his presence because his presence draws you closer to the house. His presence draws you into a place of healing, restoration, empowerment. His presence draws you into relationship, into liberty and freedom. His presence creates a place where you find identity, where you find value, where you find commissioning, and where you find release and fulfillment of hearts cry, dreams and desires. The church, that is the presence of God, pulls you into 
the church, empowers you in the church, gives you a voice as part of the church, releases you out as part of the church to multiply the church, that the impact and effect of the church, which is the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is the place where Jesus is lifted up and his message is revealed to mankind. The reason for the church is so that the gospel can be opened up and revealed to all of mankind. The gospel is seen and understood because of the church. The church is the place of God's presence. I hope I'm tying it together for you so you fully understand the power and the nature of why we draw. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.